0: Welcome to Element, the student ministry of Third City Christian Church. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students.
1: I hope that you guys had the opportunity to um, come to Easter service this weekend, whether it might be at a different church or here. But uh, here, Scott preached a a fantastic message about God's unlimited unlimited love and how Jesus' resurrection shows that. And so, I wish you guys were here. If not, the uh, sermon's probably online and you can go watch it. But anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be focusing on the resurrection tonight. Uh, I'm going to be primarily looking at evidence for the resurrection. That way you guys can have confidence in that. Josh is going to come out and show, uh, he's going to ask a question, why, why the, the cross and why the resurrection matters for us. And so those are what we're going to be looking at tonight. Before we get started, I'm going to pray. Dearly father, Lord, I pray for tonight. Thank you for these students. Thank you for bringing them in here tonight. Lord, I, Easter is one of my favorite holidays to celebrate, Lord, because it celebrates your, your, your son, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, Lord. Lord, I pray for, for focus tonight. Lord, I pray that students can leave here confident in the resurrection. Lord, I pray that that confidence will drive their faith. Lord, I pray for a good small group time. And share and pray. Amen. So I recently, I recently took a class that, had a, that taught a, a marketing strategy called the Golden Circle. And essentially it, it looks at the, the what's, the how's, and why's of an organization or a company. And it basically looks like this. you got three circles. This is the what. This is how. And the little guy in the middle, this is why. And in the business world, the what, the what is what do we do? What do we sell? The how is how do we do it? How do we sell it? And the why, the why is why do we do what we do? And businesses that do marketing well, they focus on the why. People who market well, they focus on the why. If you see any Apple commercial or any Apple keynotes, you'll understand that. They, they look into the why of a product. They show how and they show what it is, but they really they look into why and why you should get it, what, why it matters to you, and why they, why they changed what they changed and why they created what they created. In this, this strategy, this marketing strategy applies so well to Christianity, very easily. So in, in Christianity, the what is theology, and that is essentially what, it's what you believe, is what theology is. I don't even know how to spell theology. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Just pretend it's... Oh, there is an O. I see. I had in my notes. I had in my notes. Uh, okay. So what's theology? What do you believe? That's theology. What do you believe? Uh, how is, I would say, Christian practices? Christian practices. So, like, I go to church. I... I read my Bible, I pray, I take communion, Christian practice, I'm in community with others. Why? I'm just gonna put a question mark. Why is what we call apologetics? And the why, why for Christians is, is what I would say is the hardest, the hardest of them all. You know, a lot of Christians they understand what. That's theology, remember? That's Jesus died on the cross. I believe that. Jesus rose again, I believe that. that's what you believe. How is Christian practices, you know, come to church in community with other? Why is a little bit difficult? Why is why do you believe what you believe? That's a little that's that's Christians have a harder time to understand. So tonight, I'm looking into why for the resurrection of Christ. Why should I believe that is true? And I want to, I want to give you evidence for that so that you can be confident in the resurrection of Christ. And so that not just to see it as a story, but to see it as logical and as fact. So the first thing I want to look at are the facts that historians, New Testament historians, all agree on. And the first one is that they all agree that Jesus was a real person, a factual person, and that he existed um, around 33 A.D., and nobody's debating whether or not he did not exist. Everybody believes, all historians believe he existed. Second, historians all believe Jesus was crucified on a cross as a criminal by the Roman government. And then buried in a tomb in Jerusalem. And then uh, according to William Lane Craig in his book On Guard, historians also agree that our New Testament is 97% accurate to the original writings. And so the writings that the eyewitnesses saw, who saw Jesus after he was resurrected and wrote the, the, basically the New Testament, the ancient writings, our New Testament today is 97% accurate to the ancient writings of the New Testament. And they say that the 3% are just small grammatical differences. So going on with the New Testament, we have... I've mentioned this before we have over 2000 ancient copies of New Testament writings meaning we have meaning the eyewitnesses who wrote about Jesus Jesus's burial death and resurrection we have over 2000 ancient copies the closest next thing is has only 600 So now the question that people really are debating is whether or not Jesus is resurrected and if the resurrection is true So let's look into the eyewitness accounts. So these are the the people who actually saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Real people who saw Jesus alive. So Paul writes in Corinthians, he said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters. So there was over 500 eyewitnesses after Jesus's resurrection. So over 500 people saw who Jesus was and saw that Jesus was alive and then wrote to tell about it. And in these writings, these ancient writings, these ancient uh, scriptures, um, only came years and decades after Jesus. Only years and decades after Jesus. In contrast, um, the earliest writings we have of Alexander the Great, one of the greatest conquerors, one of the greatest leaders of ancient history, you've all heard of Aunt Alexander the Great, earliest writings came about him 400 years after his death. 400 years in contrast to a few years in a decade. So, back to the eyewitnesses. Uh, There's originally five women, five women who saw Jesus originally after he was resurrected. And in this day and age, so if my point being here with these women is that if somebody, were to, um, if somebody were to fake this story, if they were to fake Jesus' story on the cross, if they were to fake everything, women in this day and age in the ancient world were not respected, essentially. And so if they, if they were to bring the story of Jesus to court and, and their testimonies into courts, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be trusted and they would not be tried in the court of law. Basically, their stories would not be accepted. And so if somebody was, was faking this message to write, write just a story, they would have written in men into the text because if, if men were the first ones to see Jesus, it would be a way more believable story. But that's not how it transpired. That's not how it happened. Women were the first to see, and that's how the gospel writers wrote, wrote the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So lastly, before uh, we watch a video and Sykes comes out here, um, I want to talk about the only, the only argument that our world, our secular world has thrown at us against the resurrection. The only argument is that they say, scholars and and scientists, they they say that all the 500 eyewitness accounts were hallucinating the same hallucination at the same time. And that's their best argument against Jesus on the cross and Jesus rising from the dead. That's their best argument. I don't know about you, but that's that's not logical. That's not logical. Jesus even said, he said, he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And this, this Greek word for word is, is called logos. It's the same word where we get the, our word logic. In, in the beginning was logic. God was logic. Logic was with God. The story of Jesus' resurrection is logical. And I've just given you evidence for that. So now you can have, you can have confidence in that evidence. And that confidence is going to drive your faith. And, and Sykes is going to come out here in a little bit. And we're going to watch a video real quick. And Sykes is going to talk about, so now what? And he's going to ask a question, why does this matter to us today? Check out this video. You cannot let him go on like this. He'll destroy everything you have worked for.
0: Whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. Why didn't you obey your orders and arrest him? Because no one ever spoke the way this man does. What charges are you bringing against this man? He's a blasphemer and a criminal! Crucify him! Why? What evil has this man committed? Crucify him! Give them what they want. A crown of thorns for the king of the Jews. (laughs) Stretch him out. How can he save others when he can't even save himself? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Please, God, don't take my son. Please.
1: He's dead. Get him down. Let me take the body. Please, he he needs a proper burial. He wasn't the savior we thought he was. What now? It's over.
0: You know, it's very important that we talk about the reason why we believe the details of these things and and why the history is important and why everything pointing towards the crucifixion as being historical fact and about the resurrection being historical fact and not a myth. It's important to talk about those things, but the most important question, students, is why does this matter to me 2,000 years later? I don't know what you see when you look at the cross, You know, we see a lot of crosses in our world. We see golden crosses. We see silver crosses. We see crosses as as jewelry. We see lawn ornaments as crosses. We see crosses on buildings. But what do we see when we see the cross? There are going to be a variety of things that we see as we look at the cross timbers. We could see judgment. Some people, some people see the cross and it reminds them of the church and they go, that reminds me of judgmental people. Some people might look at the cross and go, that, that stands for, for nothing that I stand for. So I don't know what you see as you look at the cross. I think about historically what the cross would have been, would have been a really gnarly cross beam of wood this would have been likely a solid piece that weighed maybe 130 150 pounds the wood would have been very rough Uh, it would have been the type of wood that if you slid across a bench you get a bunch of splinters in your backside they wanted to make it as uncomfortable as possible for the person that was hanging on the cross because the cross was designed for torture people It wasn't designed for comfort. It wasn't smooth and varnished like the one that we have in our baptistry. It was very rough. It was full of splinters. It was meant to offer pain. And what do you think, what do you see when you look at the cross? I'll tell you that when I look at the cross of Christ... I tend to see every bit of my sin, and I'm reminded of every bit of my shame, and I'm reminded of every moment that I didn't live up to what God wanted me to do with my life every time that I look at the cross. And I, when I look at the cross, I also realize that I see God's judgment. You see, God is a righteous God, and because he's a righteous God, he's going to punish things completely. And scripture talks about God pouring out all of his wrath upon Jesus in his moment on the cross. That God poured that wrath out upon his son. I think of the pain, I think of the sorrow, I think of the isolation The loneliness that Christ must have felt as, for just a moment, God turned his back on his own son and poured his wrath out upon him. That's what I see when I see the cross, students. I see that, but it's not limited to that. Because, in addition to seeing those things, when I look at the cross, I see hope. I see a story that even though Jesus stopped breathing on earth, was taken down from this cross, it didn't end there. There was hope. And the fact that he resurrected three days later gives me hope to live. And it reminds me that Jesus didn't simply become sin for no reason. He became sin So that I could become something that I was completely incapable of. You see, there's a reality, students, of the status of our lives without Christ. There's this reality that we find ourselves hopelessly chained to our sin, we find ourselves hopelessly bonded to our sin. You get a picture of this, the magnitude. This isn't like a small like old school movie little ball and chain that you can kind of just haul around with you and it's more of an inconvenience. This is an immovable object. And you see when I look at the cross, what I see happening in this moment, I just see I see God stepping in and he just absolutely, in one complete moment, completely breaks the chain that we are feeling of the bondage to our sin. And listen, this has a variety of, of names, doesn't it? I mean, for some of you guys, this sin has been hatred. For some of you, this sin has been, uh, has been deceit, deception, lying, lying. Uh, man, make a list. I mean, we're going to go down the list of alcohol, weed, sex, pornography, abuse. You've been uh, you abused others. You've been, uh, you name it and you've done it. It is a huge list. And it's something that we are incapable of taking care of on our own. And when I look at the cross, students, I see hope. I see hope that can only come from God. God was the only one that could write the check to cover the sin of my life. He was the only one. He was the only one that was able to set my bonds free. Paul, in writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, had this to say. And these words are powerful, and I want you guys to hear this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That was a step that God had to take. God needed Jesus to become our sin, my sin, your sin. We were incapable of taking, you guys, the punishment that we deserve and surviving it. We are incapable of that. And so when I look at the cross, not only do I see my sin and I see God's judgment and I see God's wrath, I see hope that only comes from our Father God. And what a fantastic night for this room to be full of so many new people. I literally have no idea what brought you into this room tonight, except that maybe God brought you here because you needed to hear a message of hope, that you, you no longer have to worry about living your life in bondage to the way that you've been living, that, that Jesus lived his life and died this death and rose from the grave so that you could have the hope of freedom. And walking in freedom. And students, that's why the truth of the, the death and resurrection of Christ is so important. That is the why. That is the why we, we beg you to, to bring friends on Wednesday nights. To ask friends to come to, to go to Summer Fusion. To go to, to, go to Move. To, to come to church on Sunday morning. Is because we are begging, pleading, and hoping that just maybe. It's going to click in someone's mind that Jesus' sacrifice was necessary for me. And I need to unite my life in Christ with Christ. You see, Scripture says this. It says if you unite your life with Christ in baptism, you're uniting yourself with him in his death. And then it says you will also find yourself united with him in life. and students I want you to really contemplate that tonight. We're going to do something special tonight. We don't get to take communion very often and we're going to do it as a body of believers tonight. And this is why. The way that we remember the way that we remember the cross is huge. Scripture says that we need to remember it with sober judgment with a clear mind and a clear conscience. I want to read to you out of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Listen to verse 26, students. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So here's what's going to happen, students. We're gonna pass communion trays up and down the rows. There's gonna be some bread in the middle. There's gonna be some juice in a cup. We wanna invite you, you students, this is very important that you listen because we are remembering, we're, in taking communion, it means that we are proclaiming the death of Christ. And if we proclaim the death of Christ, it means we're agreeing that it happened. It means we're agreeing with the resurrection and this is a, such an important moment so as they're past if you if you're an individual that has united your life with Christ and you're like absolutely I'm going to share with the body of believers and remembering what Christ has done the fact that he he set the, he set me free from these bonds from these chains we want you to take the bread and take the cup and to enjoy communion. And listen, students, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I've never taken communion, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm telling you this is not a halftime snack, okay? This isn't like, ooh, man, a treat coming up and down the aisle. Scripture is very clear that you need, that if you partake of communion in an unworthy manner, which means if you're taking communion and you don't proclaim the death of Jesus, It means that God's judgment is waiting for you. So maybe you need to sit and go, I need to wrestle with that truth. Can I find myself victoriously proclaiming the death of Christ because if I proclaim his death, that means I also proclaim his life. And if I proclaim his life, that means I have hope. So maybe you need to do some work with that. So I'm gonna pray over communion we're gonna enjoy this together tonight, this very special moment. Father, Father, thank you for making the cross meaningful. Father, there is nothing that is saving about its shape or about what it's made of. Father, the saving power of the cross was your son that you put upon it? Father, we are grateful that you were willing to make him sin, even though he knew no sin, so that we might have the chance to become the righteousness of you. So, Father, in this moment, as we remember what you've done, I pray that you would help us to have pure thoughts, sincere thoughts about proclaiming the cross, and what that means. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining Element. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students.